welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. I'm Janae Claiborne, and my cookbook is Sweet Potato Soul. I'm not even going to ask you the obvious first question, if it's difficult to be a vegan from the South. But I did want to kick things off by asking you about cooking on your own when you were in elementary school. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Well, my mom didn't like to cook. Um, so <laughs> she got me some cookbooks. I found the recipes that I liked and got started. And it was great for me. I loved it. And my mom, you know, it was good for her too, because she got to eat well. We didn't have to eat out at restaurants all the time. And yeah. <laughs> what was the favorite thing you made when you were little? Uh, it was a Szechuan chicken. So long before being vegan, Szechuan chicken. And I loved it because it had all these different ingredients that to me seemed so exotic. We had to go to the specialty grocery store. We went to the Asian grocery store to buy everything. Um, so it was a lot of fun, you know, all the measuring out a little bit of this and a little bit of that and using the wok and making the sauce. And it was just so fun. And really, that was like the only recipe that I can even remember making. I don't remember making anything else. That might be the only thing I was into. (laughs) (laughs) So my mom passed away a few years ago. And one thing I long for is sitting at her kitchen table talking while she cooks. Mm. That to me is home. Talk Mm. about when your love of food and comfort in the kitchen began. Mm. Like I said, my mom, she's not a big cook. However, my grandmother is. And so is my dad. And so I have those, I have those, those memories and those moments with those two where, you know, they're cooking and we're sitting having a conversation. Perhaps I'm cooking. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just watching. Um, so when I was really little, I, my first exposure to, you know, being in the kitchen was like when my grandmother moved, um, down to Georgia and we, we all lived together and she was the main cook in the house. And just, I was always in the kitchen with her, always you know, helping her or she would give me little side projects to, to, to mix things. Or even if it wasn't a side project, she would just like, let me do my own thing on the side. So I could say, Oh, I'm going to mix this flour with this baking powder, with this sugar, with this, whatever. It would never be edible ever, but (laughs) she always let me be creative and get my hands dirty and, and be in the kitchen with her. And same with my dad. He, um, it's funny. My dad actually was raised vegan and he grew up, I mean, he, he grew up eating vegan until he was in his 20s when he met my mom. He always blames it on my mom, the fall, he says. Uh, the fall. But, yeah, <laughs> he's back now, but, you know, it took a while. But um, he, so the type of cuisine that my dad was making and still cooks is, is all plant-based. So I learned how to cook that way from him. And I remember hearing stories about, um, you know, it was kind of foreign to me eating so many vegetables and tofu and things like that but he would he would tell me stories while he was cooking and about the ingredients like turmeric and this is the tofu and this is when I used to work at um, the vegan restaurant we would make this ice cream using this so I've always been surrounded by food and by stories and you know in the kitchen what is your soul food philosophy Hmm, my soul food philosophy is that any type of food can be soul food. However, being a black person from the South and just from the United States, 
uh, it's definitely you know the traditional foods as well. So the candy yams and and mac and cheese and all those things, collard greens and um, so that's like the base point. Those are the celebratory foods, the things that you know when I think of my family, those are the foods I really want to eat the most. However, my grandmother, when I was you know I was a kid and still now, she always said that you put soul into everything you're cooking. And I started noticing that even though we weren't eating this, the, the stereotypical uh, celebratory soul foods every single day, we were eating homemade food. We were eating lots of fruits and vegetables and grains and beans. And she was preparing it all, you know, in that same style with the same essence. So soul food to me isn't just the, the canon. It's, it's everything that you make with soul and love and all those things. In Sweet Potato Soul, the cookbook, you explore the history of Southern food. Now, what's the difference between soul food and Southern food? <laughs> well, Southern food, you know, it's just it's like a regional blanket statement. So I would think of soul or Southern food as encompassing soul food and encompassing Creole and Cajun food. Um, but soul food specifically is the food that Black people invented you know from our circumstances living in the south uh you know as enslaved individuals a lot of us um and then how that food that food was very much influenced by you know european cuisines african cuisines native american cuisines and um yeah i mean it all it all has sort of come from that but the difference is really that it was created by black people in the south um and so you'll see if you're in the South, you know, everybody eats collard greens, everybody eats mac and cheese, everybody eats um, a lot of these foods. But there's like a certain way that it's made when it's like soul food or when the black person makes it. I don't know if there's like an actual like thing, like a big difference that you could pinpoint if you did like a blind taste test. Um, but certainly, you know, the person who's making it will would tell you otherwise. I didn't realize the term soul food became popular in the 60s. Mm-hmm, me too. And so I started researching, which is, which is another thing that I think is interesting and I like because, you know, now, you know, 21st century, 2018, um, I look back at how, okay, this term is fairly new, but this cuisine has been around for hundreds of years. But the cuisine has been changing over and over throughout all these years. And now it continues to change. Um, and I, I think part of the fact that the term is so new makes me feel like there's even more freedom for change and, and, you know, metamorphosis. And like, this is a very, it's not the type of cuisine that has to be like stuck in stone and like the same all the time. Um, and, you know, even for me, when I'm thinking about soul food, I don't think of, you know, being vegan and making vegan soul food as something totally new and different and like, you know, exotic. I think of it as going back to the roots, right? So, you know, our ancestors ate far more plant-based diet than we do today. Um, and, you know, even my grandmother, who's still around today, ate a more plant-based diet when she was, you know, my, my age or really younger than me, actually. Um, and so did her grandparents and her parents and such. So I think of soul food now as just going back to its plant-based roots and reclaiming that the 60s and the 50s were a time when soul food was starting to become 
more fried and more heavy and more industrialized, relying more on packaged foods to prepare the soul food, right? Before it, you know, before it was just all homemade everything. And then, of course, the industrialization of the food system in the 50s has even had changed that for all American food, including soul food. So now we're just taking it back to like pre-term soul food. <laughs> so describe how many things other than food choices shifted in your life after you became vegan. I see. Okay. So after I became vegan, the food is obviously the main first thing that shifted. And I've always loved food. So it was really easy for me to shift that because I was in the kitchen. I was experimenting more. It was like a new adventure for me. Um, And all I wanted to do was cook. All I wanted to do was grocery shop and be at the farmer's market and buy new new recipe books and things like that. Um, But a couple... I wouldn't say it really happened right away, but eventually within the next like year or so of being vegan, I started, it started shifting my other consumer choices. So the clothing I started, I was buying, I no longer bought clothing made with animal products. So leather and wool and things like that. Um, I have since started buying Actually, I've since quit buying all fast fashion, so I'm a lot more mindful of buying, making sure to buy thrifted clothes, and I'm just like a bit more eco-friendly. And of course, you know, a lot of the reason people go vegan is for health reasons. And for me, within a couple of weeks of being vegan, I noticed the health differences. And before I was vegan, I was vegetarian. I thought I was very healthy. I, I realized I wasn't very healthy because I, I think I just got used to my baseline being kind of like whatever. And then once I became vegan, I became, I felt so much better. I didn't even realize that I wasn't feeling that great before. So that happened almost immediately. That wasn't my main reason for becoming vegan, but it certainly, once I started feeling that shift so early on, I realized, okay, this is, this is worth, you know, worth changing my, my lifestyle for. So what kind of shift did you feel? Like, did you have more energy? Did you sleep better? Those things for sure. But the thing was, I have always, not anymore, but I had always had digestive issues from as early as I can remember. I was in the doctor on different medications, gastroenterologist, and always trying to, my my parents were always trying to figure out what is going on with my gut. We knew that I was very sensitive to dairy, so I didn't eat things like pizza, or I did eat some pizza, but very little cheese. I didn't eat um, ice cream. But, you know, dairy sneaks in everything. And so basically, without knowing it uh, until I became 100% vegan, I had just been suffering from dairy my whole life. So I, like I said, in and out of the doctor, all sorts of digestive issues and like all, all everything. Um, and that was, that was like influencing all areas of my life. I was more moody when my stomach was not feeling well. I had less energy. I couldn't sleep as well. I just felt, I didn't feel my optimal self, but I got to a point where I thought, well, you know, this is just my stomach. I'm just, I'm just like faulty. I can't do anything about this. Oh, well. And I got to that point a few years, even before becoming vegan. And so it wasn't until I became vegan that I realized that it was really the dairy because by the time I became vegan, all that I had left to cut out of my diet was I was eating yogurt and occasionally I'd have a slice of pizza, but not, I was hardly eating any at all. 
Um, my, my skin cleared up after that. Of course, I had more energy after that. My whole outlook on life changed because I wasn't uncomfortable all the time anymore. One food that's listed in your Southern Pantry Staples section is peanuts, the overlooked peanut, which I happen to love. Talk a little <laughs> bit about George Washington Carver's vegan recipes in the 1900s made out of peanuts. So I've always been fascinated by George Washington Carver. You know, in Black History Month in school, you learn about him and all his, his inventions with the peanut, he, the peanut butter and and like revolutionized growing peanuts to fix soil and like all this amazing stuff. Um, so when I was re when I was writing my book and I was doing research for the book, I started learning more about him, just not just like the, what I had learned in school during black history month, but he made so many quote unquote inventions recipes with the peanut, everything from, you know, like making peanut butter to peanut meats. So mock meats using peanuts. Um, <laughs> he used it for all different things. And he taught, he taught, um, I guess homemakers and back in the day, we'd call them, um, how to use peanuts in their homes so that, you know, Basically, they're much more, they're very nutritious, obviously, um, high in protein and fiber, and just great for the whole family. The funny thing, though, is as much as I think this is very fascinating, as much as I love George Washington Carver, I'm like allergic to peanuts, so I don't really eat peanuts. I know. I <laughs> read that. And I read that for the longest, you were repulsed by the oh, sight and smell of peanuts. And it's almost like your body was protecting you. But the thing is, I do not have an allergy to peanuts um, when I'm when they're not from the United States. It might be mental. I admit it might be totally psychosomatic. But I have multiple times eaten peanuts in different countries and not realized that I was eating it until like you know three by ten or whatever and had no reaction whatsoever. I was even um, I was at a, a talk recently and the the the, per, the presenter was passing around peanuts that she had brought back recently from Ghana. And I'm like, I'm going to taste it, see what happens. I'm not going to die. I'm not like anaphylactic, allergic. That's good. No problem. No issue. So I don't know if it's psychosomatic with me or if it's like there's something about the American grown peanuts. I don't know. But I would like to get over this allergy because I feel like, you know, it keeps me from my roots, my culture. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, another thing, though, about him, George Washington Carver, that I didn't realize until, you know, working on this book was his 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 also fascination with the sweet potato and you know how he he really he really researched peanuts because peanuts are used to repair soil soil that's been or you know farmland that's been overused and damaged you can you plant peanuts they're nitrogen fixing so they will fertilize and, and make that soil um um you know fertile again but he also focused on sweet potatoes. So sweet potatoes are similar. They're very easy to grow. They're high in nutrients like peanuts are. And you can do a million and one things with them. And so in addition to making all these different inventions with peanuts, he was doing the same thing with sweet potatoes. He was also teaching um, homemakers how to use sweet potatoes. And, you know, and he had like sweet potato milk. By the way, he has peanut milk, too. Um uh, sweet potato burgers. It's funny because he says like sweet potato lamb chops or sweet potato, like whatever, but they're only, it's hundred percent vegan. All this stuff is vegan. So I just thought that was so interesting way back when it, Tuskegee, him doing all this stuff. He was so ahead of his time. 
Mm-hmm. Seriously. Speaking of sweet potatoes, they've always been your favorite food, and it's also the name of your hugely popular blog, Sweet Potato Soul. Talk a little bit about that. I've always loved the sweet potato, um, and I can remember my grandmother preparing them for me when I got home after school. We all, she always keeps baked sweet potatoes in the refrigerator. Quick snack, healthy, energizing. It's just perfect. And I've always loved them in everything from candy yams to sweet potato pie, my two favorite foods. So when I wanted to start my food blog, I it made perfect sense that I would have my very favorite food in the title. And then, of course, you know, soul, because soul food means so much to me. And I want to expand, you know, what that means, what soul food means. So, yeah. I never knew there were so many kinds of sweet potatoes. You have nine <laughs> listed in your cookbook, to be exact. Can right. we find all of these varieties in the grocery store? Yes, you can. There are more that you, you know, I didn't, I didn't feature because they'd be too, they're too hard for us to find here in America. But you can find those. So, you know, if you go to the grocery store, you might see, I'll say, garnet and jewel yams. Those are sweet potatoes. They're not yams. Yams are t- something totally different. Um, or sometimes nowadays you'll see the the purple ones. Um, I'm blank- I forgot the name of those right now. But the purple on the outside, purple on the inside. Uh, I see those a lot at, at the grocery store these days. Also the white on the inside, white on the outside. Um, but if you want to go for the Asian varieties, like the Okinawan sweet potato, which is gray on the outside and bright neon purple, on the inside are the Japanese yams or the Korean ones, then you'll need to go to, usually you'll have to go to an Asian grocery store, which, I mean, why would you not want to go to that anyway? You have, oh, that's, that's my heaven. So I'll, I'll typically, you know, explore town, especially if you, if you live in a big city or if you live in like Atlanta, where I'm originally from, they're really easy to find. Just you might have to go to like the, the ethnic or the international or Asian grocery store. I recently learned on another cookbook podcast that I did that monks in China wanted to invite non-Buddhists into their monastery, and they would eat vegetarian, but the guests wouldn't. So Mm. they made dishes that looked and tasted similarly to meat and seafood dishes. Mm. And um, this was the beginning of culinary replications. I'm dying to know what your thoughts are about vegan replications that look like, let's say, chicken. Yeah, I am all for it. To be honest, really? I don't need a lot of that. Yeah. I, I, at home, I mean, I'm in love with vegetables and legumes and grains. That is all I need. I don't need any, I don't need mock meat or any of that. However, I love it for what it does for people. So many people use mock meats and these replications as a way to help them transition, especially because a lot of people, they're so used to the texture and the taste of, say, chicken. Uh, so they need something when they become vegan to, you know, hold them over for a while until they can figure out how to cook beans and figure out how to like broccoli and, you know, and whole grains. A lot of people just don't like that. They're not used to that. So this, these foods act as like a little bridge between the two. They're still totally vegan. Um, so that's great, but you know, they really help usher people a little closer into like the, the real whole food plant-based um, lifestyle that I try to, you know, try to have people join. <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought you were going to be totally against it. I'm shocked. Yeah, no, it's like, wow. and you know, my, my book, I don't have any, um, the closest I have to that is I have 
two different sausage recipes, which are homemade, handmade sausages. Um, so not not store-bought vegan sausage. You, you do it by hand. It's very easy. Um, and then I have the cauliflower chicken, but it's cauliflower. It's, you know, it's it's not like, you know, beyond chicken that you get at Whole Foods and you bread and you fry. Um, so, yeah, I'm not necessarily – I'm not trying to, like, everybody go eat this stuff. I But I do think that those are good, you know, like I said, a bridge. Just yesterday, I read an article – that cited a recent study on consumer trends that found the term vegan to be the least appealing food and beverage marketing term among U.S. adults. What do you think about that? Well, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. I think vegan people like myself, we we tend to have uh, an intuition about that, you know? For me, though, with what I do, when I, the, the marketing I'm doing and like my, my mission as I want to be real transparent, this is vegan. I'm speaking to people who thought to themselves, they saw a movie or they had a conversation or whatever. They thought they think I want to become vegan. I need to find vegan, specifically vegan resources. So they might Google vegan recipes and they'll find me. I want to be specific. I want those people. I don't want to proselytize the people. I don't want, I'm not out there converting people. I'm more of a resource. However, I have thought about how if I want to reach a more mainstream audience, reach people who are not already looking for vegan resources, then using the term vegan is probably not the best way for me to do that because it is a turnoff for a lot of people because, frankly, I think the biggest issue is that people have an image of what a vegan is and what a vegan lifestyle is, and they say, that's not me, and that is not for me. I'm not interested. So you know, until we can change the image and people's perception of what it means, I think it's a little bit more wise to influence people, get people on board without using, I shouldn't say people, I should say more the mainstream on board without, uh, I don't know, not, I don't want to say without using that term, but you know, just Maybe a little bit more undercover with the term. So yesterday, I made your recipe for sweet Jesus mac and cheese <laughs> on page 113. And it's, it, it's interesting because for a different cookbook podcast I did, I made the original James Hemings recipe. Wow. First off, talk a little bit about James Hemings and who he was. Uh, so he was the enslaved chef of Thomas Jefferson. And he went with Thomas Jefferson when he went to Europe and spent time in France and he studied food or cooking in Europe and he you know, brought it back to America and he wrote down his recipes at Monticello, the state. And those are, that's probably that recipe that you made. I know Monticello still has, they have like a lot of their recipes on their website and, and some of, I have one of their books that's a cookbook and it's like all old recipes from James Hemings. But yeah, I mean, how, how was it? I want, was it, it was tasty? so bland because they, I, did, I they didn't use that. any salt. Yeah. Right. Back then. Can you imagine? So the food back then was so much more bland. And I, I think it's not until, you know, you really needed to combine. So that's like mac and cheese as soul food as it is. It is a European invention. You know, he, he, he made it what it is, you know, what that recipe is that you tasted, but you know, it was, it's definitely like using all that cheese and the noodles. That's a European thing. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, he brought it here 
And then folks started playing around with it and adding more flavor that it became what it is today, like tasty, gooey mac and cheese. Um, But I think it was really necessary for this blending of cultures. I mean, it is unfortunate the way that the cultures had to blend, but for for these foods, these European foods to become tasty is, is, is and they needed they needed the African influence and yeah. the Native American influence. <laughs> they sure did. So your recipe for mac and quote cheese calls mm-hmm. for sweet potatoes, lemon juice, and Dijon mustard. Three flavors that never come up when I'm thinking about mac and cheese. Yeah. How did you create this recipe? So, you know, I played around with different mac and cheese recipes that I found on the internet and other cookbooks. My dad used to work at a famous vegan restaurant called Soul Veg in Atlanta. Um, and at Soul Veg, they make a mac and cheese. Everything they make, look, is is tofu, soy base. I love soy, but, you know, you don't have to use it for everything. Very oily, very just like down home vegan mac and cheese, but I didn't want to do that. I I wanted to make it a little healthier. I wanted to use whole foods. So, um, but you still need a lot of flavor. Um, so the mustard, the Dijon that I use and the lemon, it's to add tang. Um, and then you also use nutritional yeast, which has a naturally cheesy flavor. Um, but you can't just use it by itself. You still need to have, you need to add that tang that real cheese has you know, in the, it's a, it's a different take on mac and cheese, really. Obviously it has sweet potato in it too, which is totally, you know, <laughs> uh, unexpected. <laughs> totally. It was light though. It looks really heavy. I posted a picture yeah. on Instagram, but it is light. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Good. Where can we find you on the web and social media? You can find me at sweetpotatosoul.com. That's my blog. There are hundreds of recipes. And all social media, you can find me at Sweet Potato Soul, including YouTube. I have a big YouTube channel as well. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Sweet Potato Soul. Thank you for writing this beautiful cookbook. And thank you for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.